Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you that everybody, everybody had a good time with their Thanksgiving dinners and that that you just give us things to be thankful for. And we ask that you guide and lead us as we open the, the word into Nehemiah and to, to see what you would have us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is your countenance sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lies waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And the king said unto me, For what do you make a request? So I prayed unto heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, that you would send me into Judah, into the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said, and said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. And we're going to stop there for a moment, because we've got a lot here just in this little section. So, yeah. Okay, we talked about at the end of last chapter that Nehemiah is a cupbearer. And a cupbearer is a very important job. It's a high, it's a job that they treated him very well. He would have had good, good uh, uh, lodging. He would have had fine clothes because he was basically, he would bring the food to the king and he was required to taste it <laughs> to make sure, to make sure that he, nobody was trying to poison the king. So it was a dangerous job if the king was a, was a, a, uh, despot, an angry, a, a bitter man. It wasn't too bad if you were with a good king because they're not usually trying to kill the, that king. <laughs> but the cupbearer brought the food to it and they were required to take the first sip or, or bite of whatever they brought to show that it wasn't uh, poisoned. The we're going to get down to here and we're going to get into that, but the king at this time is Artaxerxes. Yes, yeah, it's actually Artaxerxes the first, or the second, so. So we're going to look at this, and he says, and so, but the idea, he said, I had never been sad before him, or, or were, you know, and so the cupbearer was not to be looking worried or sad, or, because then the king's going to look at them and say, what's wrong? <laughs> You know, are you playing? You know, are you planning to die here in just a moment? You know, there, this was something that wasn't. This is why it said he became very afraid when the king's noticing how sad he is. Okay, because that's not a good place to be <laughs> at that point in time. Because if you're sad, you know, you're sad, you're distressed. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to lose my life today, and the, you know, and the king's going to have that concern of why is my cupbearer. <laughs> in a bad mood, you know, why is he, you know, does he think he's going to pass, you know, pass away? But the, the king was kind of gentle with him, you know, because he'd been there for a while, he'd been serving him. He says, why are you sad, seeing that you're not sick? <laughs> okay, you're obviously not sick, you're standing up straight, but you're very sad. And he says, and he said it is sorrow of the heart. And this is something he's saying, this is not just your everyday you know, he knew this wasn't the type of thing where you just pasted a smile on your face and, and went about your business, you know, and that's, you know, what you're taught to do in a business world as a professional. You, you know, the, the whole mentality of leave your troubles behind at the door, you know, because now you're at work and, and you know, the king's seeing this and he knows something's wrong. Ne Nehemiah has worked for him for a while. He, he knows him. He's, and it, this is something different. And Nehemiah saying, you know, he was very afraid because, you know, the king could kick him out of his job, could execute him, you know, not, not knowing what's going on because, you know, this, this is going on. And the king said, oh, and then he said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my, not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lies waste and the gates thereof are burned. And remember we, in chapter 1 we, talk, we talked about him having the messages of how bad things are in Jerusalem. 
Okay, we've studied Ezra, who is a, a slight generation ahead of him, about, about 20 years ahead. Ezra went in, and his job was to build the temple. But the city is still in ruins. Okay, they've got this nice temple built, and the people have built some houses. But there's no gate. There's no, no official halls where things are being accomplished. It's just a pretty big disaster. It looks terrible, as we're going to see in this chapter. And Nehemiah is heartbroken that the city of his fathers is in disaster. And you look at this and he says, you know, why shouldn't my countenance be sad when the city, and I think this is kind of, this is kind of bold when you're talking to the king. The king is sitting in Susan, the, the palace, the palace uh, city for the Persians. And so when he says the city, he's making an accusation to the king that this, you know, you know, we, we aren't the city. You know, King, we're in your palace. We're in, we're in your headquarters. But uh, I have another town that I consider the, the city, the, the important place. Okay? And, it's, and then it says, the place where my father's sepulchers lay waste. And that means desolate, destroyed. Uh, the gates thereof are consumed with fires. The gates have been burnt down. Okay, and if you're in those days, we've talked about this through Ezra and Nehemiah. If you're living in a big city with no gates, no gates and walls, you're subject to every bandit and and bad guy in the area coming into your city, getting into your city and stealing and robbing and destroying and murder, because they just walk walk in and walk out. <laughs> okay, and in this day and age, the, any city of any size would have a wall. You couldn't just walk in and walk out. And at night, the gates would all be closed and sentinels would be put on the gates and you had to, you know... What are sentinels? Guards. Guards, Guards watchers. Okay. And they would have to say, you know, hey, what business do you have in the city? Uh, who, who sent you? And usually, they did not open the doors after dark. Okay, you would have to have a reason. You'd have had to come from Artaxerxes with a with a paper saying, I'm, I'm here on official business to be able to get through the gate. The gate. Okay, so most people would have been said, well, when we open the gates in the morning, you, you can come in and talk to whoever you want. Uh, but, so there's none, none of this availability, and this is, what, this is what has made Nehemiah heartbroken. And we don't know how old Nehemiah is, but he makes it sound like he's maybe seen seen this but I mean that's not really possible because we're, we're looking at being a hundred years ago at this point you know because yeah. uh, they were in captivity for 70 years they were building the temple for about 20 years so I mean he'd have to be in his hundreds to be able to have seen and remembered <laughs> Jerusalem so but he's definitely got the heart and this is something that a lot of Jews have is that heart for Jerusalem the heart for Israel God has put it in there almost as a homing type thing, you know, the desire to be in their homeland. And we're seeing that desire here in Nehemiah. I really have a home that needs to be <laughs> cared for. Yeah. And so verse 4, Then the king said unto me, What is it that you want? <laughs> okay, basically what he says is a very fancy language here. What, you know, what request do you have from me? But he's saying, you know, what, what do you want of me? Okay, I see the sorrow, and you've got this, you know, you're heartbroken. What is it that you, that you desire? What, you, what, what would make you happy? And, and this kind of shows that he's, the king, likes, <laughs> the king likes him at this point. You know, the king's liking, he obviously likes Nehemiah. He's been a good servant. He's been, he's been kind, whatever it is, you know, but he's been somebody that he says he's good. The food is there. The food is tasted, you know. Uh, because this is his job was a cross between food taster and, and waiter, you know, because he had to make sure the king got his food when he wanted it on time, uh, not not with slow service. So this, he must have been very good at his job. Yeah. The king likes him, okay, because he's like, okay, what is your quest? What is it that you're wanting me to do for you? And then we look in verse four what what Nehemiah did. So I prayed to the God of heaven. He was a godly man. He, he immediately just said a quick prayer. Obviously, he didn't fall down on his knees and, and all this stuff, but he did a very quick prayer to God, asking probably for, you know, God, give me the words and, and let, let him accept them. And, and it says, And I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build or technically rebuild it. So his request is, send me to Judah. <laughs> send me to Jerusalem. You know, I want, and put me in charge of rebuilding the city. Because we've already got the temple that was started by Cyrus the Great, continued by Darius. And then you remember all the troubles that they had and the complaints that they had. And, and we had, Artaxer we had uh, Xerxes, uh, which is Artaxerxes' father. And he took and rec checked the records and told the people there, well, quit bothering them there to build the temple. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, I'm giving them money to build this temple. Now we're on Xerxes' son, Artaxerxes. <laughs> And we're getting ready to see the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so, and uh, we'll give you this here so you can kind of keep track of the kings a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. This gives you the kings in their, in their order and, and who they are. And the uh, Xerxes or Herazieres was the king who married Esther. Okay, if you remember the story of Esther and how she saved her people from destruction from Nahum. Okay, it's the next, next book after this one. So, but, uh, so, but she was a Jew that got promoted to, to queen, and that happened because of a beauty contest. She won the beauty contest and was made queen. Uh, yeah, I think I, I read some you, of the You probably read it at some yeah, point. At some point, uh, and, the and they tried to they tried to destroy the Jews, and she was able to save them by going to the king and saying, "Hey, you know, Na Naaman is trying to destroy my my people," and, uh, and Naaman ended up being hung on on a very tall gallows, and and they were given permission to defend themselves, uh, and so this was. Artaxerxes' father, and we don't know if he is, you know, you know, if he's related to Esther or not because he had multiple, multiple wives. But uh, yeah. the fact that we're going to see something here that I, I believe that Esther may have been the one involved here. So we'll tell you, get to that in just a moment. And the king, in verse six, and the king said unto me, the queen sitting by him. Now this is in parentheses in most Bibles. The queen sitting beside him shows that this probably wasn't the normal, everyday throne room that they're sitting in because the queen did not usually sit with the king during the public, you know, the, 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 every, the, the, the general public for a number of reasons. The number one, of course, was that they didn't believe that women had anything to do with it. But number two, you wouldn't want your queen sitting there when anybody and their brother came into the into that because they could try to, you know, bad enough trying to assassinate the king who could defend himself a little bit, but then you have your queen sitting there and they did not, would not want her to be exposed to that kind of trouble. So this is probably in, uh, in the dining room or something that this exchange is happening. Now that's not an absolute, it could still have been the main, <laughs> main but this, this seems to be a private discussion. Because this is not really, and you think about this, this is not the way you would expect the king to you know, uh, be talking <laughs> when, when, uh, if it was in a big public setting. You know, he would have just dismissed him and, you know, because you know, he's just a servant. He's not, <laughs> he's, he's not royalty. He's, not, he's just a servant. He would have been just dismissed and, and sent away. But this is a private, and he's just a, he has this heartfelt compassion for Nehemiah and says, tell me what it is you want. Now, the other thing we want to look at is when it says the queen in most of the Old Testament, it's usually referring to the mother of the, of the king. And the reason being for this is that because there was polygamous marriages, who would, who would be the queen, you know, would cause a riot amongst your home. So you usually, in those days, would pick your mother. The mother would act as the queen. The other, other, other ones would have queen, you know, queen status, but usually when it says the queen, they're usually referring back to the mother of the king because it was easier. And we still have that term out here, but we usually put the queen mother. Okay, but uh, in many cases, it would be the mother sat as the queen in any ceremonial 
activity, anything that was open that was his mother, because it, it kept you from having a riot amongst your wives as to which one was going to be uh, number one wife, you know, who, who was going to have the title of the queen. And you usually didn't want to cause that kind of Directed. dispute. You know, and if nothing else, just the nagging, why are you choosing her over me, you know, and especially if you had two close wives, you know, it's, and you had to make a decision on one. So usually it was the mother who sat in as the queen. And so this is quite possibly sitting with him, Esther. You know, Esther could quite possibly be the one sitting here, which would have then given, given Nehemiah a little more boldness to make his request as well, because here, you know, Here's the, the Jew that saved, <laughs> saved us sitting here. And so it's, it's speculative, and it's been in, in many of the different commentaries, but it is a good possibility that this queen is, is Esther sitting here. And so it's, and this why would have been a big deal to put it in the notes, too, that you know, the queen was there. <laughs> and it says, and the king's question was, okay, how long, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? <laughs> okay, in other words, you know, how long are you going to be away from your job <laughs> to do this other job you're wanting to do? And it said, and when, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So he says, the king was happy to send him. So he said, you know, whatever time he figured it was going to be, whether it was two or three years, because we're remember, we're talking about rebuilding the walls of the city and putting gates in. This isn't something that, and especially in those days, it's going to happen overnight. <laughs> okay, this is, this is, he's, he's going to be gone for a while. <laughs> this is not an overnight job. It's not even just a couple months job because uh, they're going to have to quarry stone. They're going to have to get lumber and build gates and the gates have to be strong and, you know, thick enough and strong enough to take a battering, the, hold back the battering ram. So, I mean, these are not just your gate you throw on the, on your house door, house and say, okay, we're okay. Uh, so he gives him the time. So starting up in verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the of the palace which appoint, appertaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house of the that I shall enter into, and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God. Okay, you can see how Nehemiah is getting bolder and bolder in his requests. First, he says, you know, his first request is, you know, send me, you know, just send me to Judah. I need, you know, and so I can rebuild the city. Okay, then he gets really bold. Now that he sees the king is kind of into this, he's, he's going to grant them. Then he starts saying, Okay, first off, it says, give me letters to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I get, come into Judah. Okay, give me letters telling these people that I'm here on king's business, basically. You know, when I, when I come in, when I cross their boundaries or cross their toll road, I got this letter saying, I'm on king's business, give me, give me passage. Okay, this is very bold of him because he knows, Nehemiah may even know how much trouble Ezra had from all these different people. And remember, they sent the letter saying, you know, hey, these people are, are rebelling against you. It's going to cost you in taxes. And, and they had to wait while the response was sent back. And then they sent their response back. And there's this balancing back and forth as the governors across the river were trying to stop the building of the temple. He's anticipating this same activity saying, King, I really would like to have the letter saying, you've given me permission to do these things. You know, and... Then it says, and then give me a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. It's a very specific one on this one, saying, and tell him to give me lumber. Okay? We're going to need lumber. We're going to have to get, you know, the best place to get it is out of your forest, king. Uh, give it, you know, and there's this keeper, you know, he's the guard of the forest. He's the one that's going to make sure nobody harvests his trees without permission. And he's saying, give me a letter to Asaph, too, that he's to provide me lumber. Yeah, he's not even going to want to have to cut it down. He wants it given to him, you know, that, that he's going to be given lumber and big enough to make the beams of the gates. And if you think about, if you've ever seen any of the movies or even any pictures of the Middle East, uh, you know, those gates are big. <laughs> okay, so we're talking some major size beams are being needed. 
These aren't just go out and harvest the little little six inch or eight inch tree. It's like you're going to go out and you're going to harvest the big trees, you know, because we need we need timbers that are going to be good size for the gate. And you look at this, and he's saying a certain number of gates. The gates to the palace, which is most likely the word for the stronghold. It's more of the, he's not like trying to make a palace to, comp you know, to compete against the king. He's making the, this is where the governor is going to sit, you know, the government is going to sit. This is where the hall of records would be, okay? Uh, the, the center of the stronghold, the, the captain of the guard would be there. Then he says, and, and for the wall of the city, okay, so he's building the gates into the wall of the city, so he's already telling the king, I want to build the wall. And this is important because before they were sent there only to build a temple and they have this naked city, basically, and he's going there to fortify the city. And if he went there without telling the king what he was doing, it would look like he is trying to rebel and set up a new kingdom. All right, and this is what he's going to be accused of later on in this chapter. <coughs> That you're, you're rebelling against the king. <coughs> and then it says, and for the house that I shall enter into. So he says, and by the way, I need, I need a house while I'm there. And this is what we know, why we know that this isn't just a one or two month stay. He's planning on being there for a while. He's not building a house and putting a gate into his house, you know, thinking that it's just going to be a couple months. This is, this is a long-term project that he's looking to build. And so we see that in this, in this area. And then he said, and, all, and the king granted me. And that's beautiful, the king. These kings have been so generous all the way through. Ezra, the king's given them the gold and silver to help build. And, and when they get harassed, he gives them more gold and silver to help build it. Uh, and this king is saying, you know, go. God has given the Jews so much favor to these four kings. And they're sending them back home. And in this case, it's a really big deal because he's literally talking about building a town and building a city that could withstand a siege. And in, if the kings really didn't, if, if Artaxerxes did not trust him, he would never have sent him back to rebuild the wall and the, and the gates because that you just weren't going to let, your en you let an enemy or somebody who you thought would re revolt against you go strengthen defenses. Okay, so this is a big deal. This is a great blessing from God. And... And Nehemiah is seeing it, that God's hand has blessed him. God's hand has said, here you go. You've got the blessing. You're going to go out there. All right, verse 9. And when I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters, now, now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Amorite heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was, a, was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So we've got two verses here. So he, he finally gets there. And remember, we've talked about these trips, even though it shows us in one verse that they're done with. We're talking about covering two to 300 miles of territory in a caravan. A caravan roughly gets about 20 miles a day if it pushes hard, 15 if it's going at a normal speed. Now this is one with military in it, so it probably pushed hard. And it didn't, doesn't probably have a lot of children by the sound of what was sent. So they probably got 20 miles. So we were talking 10 to 15 days of travel to get to this place. And so dust in there? Well, a lot of dust because it's a desert. So he gets there and he shows the letters of the kings to the governors. <laughs> And, of course, they're very happy that the Jews are going to strengthen themselves. No, that's not what it says here. It says that they were, and, oh, and then it says, and he sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. So he, he wasn't being protected on his own. He, was, he had, a, had captains, so he had a good-sized group of men that were with him to help defend. So this is, this is a great thing. The, the king has provided him with protection. It also shows that he has got the king's authority because he's there with part of the king's army and part of his cavalry. So he's very well protected, and he gets there, and he hands the letters, and it really shows two people, and these two people are going to be the main bad guys in our story for the rest of the Nehemiah, Tobiah and Sambalat. Okay? 
they're going to cause problems for the rest of Nehemiah. And, uh, and it, it says here, when they heard of this, that they were grieved with exceedingly. And that means they're so grieved. The word literally means to tremble and quiver. They are so angry about this. They are shaking. You know, we talk about shaking with anger. This is where they are. They are so angry with this whole situation. Because remember, the Israelites have come back into the promised land. And during the 70 years of captivity, other people have been there. And that's part of who Tobiah and Sambelet represent, are those people that have been living there. And not only have, have the Jews come back to their city, they've been given the land around about it. Very much like the 1948 uh, scenario where Israel was sent back to their land and given land that other people said was theirs and they could possess and it was just given away out from under them. This is the same situation. Okay, and we see Tobiah and Sambalat being the being basically the Persian, the, the PLO and the and the uh, everything of our, our current day. Okay, that's the situation they're in. They've got these people that don't want them there. They figured it was their land, and now it's been given to the Jews. <laughs> and they, they wanted them to build it, not the Jews. They, they well, they didn't want it built at all. They didn't want yeah. it rebuilt at all. And if it was going to be rebuilt, they, they wanted to be the one that did, did, it. That yeah. did it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and they didn't want the temple of God there. They didn't want... They didn't, uh, the king cut them out. The king just said, here, you're, you're, you're losing this. It's my land. You're losing it. <laughs> and so... And very much what happened in 1948 when, when the British gave away, you know, gave away Pal what the Palestinians considered their land and gave it back to the Jews. So we have that same situation. There's this very big parallel that's going, going to be seen and happening as we, as we look at this. And then, they, and then they saw that there's a man that came that cared about Jerusalem, okay, and the people. Uh, Ezra didn't seem to have that great care. Ezra was a priest. He cared about the temple. He cared about the people, but he cared about them for their spiritual life. And he, and he didn't go much beyond trying to get them to build, rebuild the city or anything because he wasn't really authorized to in the first place. But he was also just a priest. He didn't want to take on the day-to-day -day operations of the government. And here comes Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's job is not to care about the spiritual welfare, even though it's obvious he does. I mean, he cares about it because of his, he's always praying, he's always going before God. But he's there to rebuild the city. Not the, not the temple, not the spiritual activities. He's there to rebuild the city and say, we're going to build something that's going to protect, that we can run into, that will be our defense. And if you... We haven't talked much about it, but Jerusalem sits on a mountain. Okay, so it's defensible. Any, any city sitting on a mountain is defensible. And one of the rules of war is if you hold the high ground, you are in a better place than if you're trying to come up the hill. It's easier to defend. And so Israel, uh, Jerusalem, and it's got broken down walls at this place, but it is still somewhat defensible because it's on the mountain. But it's not as defensible as it should be because it doesn't have walls at this point. And we're going to see this whole thing. Verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do in, at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast for me save the beast I rode on. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates were consumed for fire, with fire. Then I went to the gate of the fountain, and to the, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up into the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered it by the gate in the valley, and so returned." All right, so we're going to take a look at these verses here. This is a map of Jerusalem's Jerusalem with the gates of, of their day mentioned, and we're going to be using it again next week, so make sure you hold on to it. Wow, a lot of gates. A lot of gates. A lot of gates for him to fix up. So we look at this. He, he's been in Jerusalem for three days. 
Okay. And he has not shared with people why he's there yet. Okay. All they know is this guy came from Sushan Palace with a with a little bit of an army, and he's got letters for letters. So as far as they know, he's just a messenger for the king, just looking around, and he's he's there for three days. And they don't know why he's there. They know, they, they know he's an honored person because he's got an army. He's got letters. But the people of Jerusalem do not know what he's there for. And it says he rose up in the, in the, in the night with just a couple people. And it shows you how bad off they are. There's no horses <laughs> no. Or, or whatever it says, any beast. You know, it could have been anything that he was riding. But he came, he came on a long trip. So I'm sure he has a horse or some, some form of transportation. Might be a camel, but it would not be something you'd normally take out at that time of night. But it could have been a camel, and it could have been anything, and he's riding. Everybody else is having to walk, okay, because he's the one that's in honor. And they went out by night by the, gal the valley of the gate, which is in the southwest corner of your map there, the, the, yeah. the valley gate. It opens on into the Hin Hinron Valley of there. And what does... Uh have a valid date 3.13. actually referring to the next cha next chapter. Actually, oh. this chapter it's it's referring to some some other study that's going on. So, oh. but we're not going to worry about those. Okay, I saw I asked. Yeah, I <laughs> they say three, but it references two as far as I'm concerned. But I don't know why it says three. It's something I just found online. So I, just to help you see the gates. So he went out by the valley gate, and he's going to turn to go south. Okay, so he comes out of the gate, and he basically takes a left-hand turn to go south. And he's going to go down toward what the dragon well and to the dung port, which is the gate where they would carry out the refuse. Okay, all the dung. They would carry it out and dump it outside the city. And so he's, he's moving that way, and he is, and it says he viewed the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this is more than just viewing. He's not just kind of glancing at them. He is examining them. How bad a shape are they in? And he's trying to find out how bad things are. And so he's looking around. And he's looking at the gates. The gates have been burnt down. They're twisted. They're busted. They're burnt, okay, from the battle. And he, and he said he went as far as the fountain gate, which is down there in the southeast corner, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the, the beast to get under. He couldn't go through that gate. Okay, it was so broken up that you know he probably could have climbed, you know, gotten out, climbed it. But then, what are you going to do with your your animal? The animal couldn't pass whatever was blocking that gate. <coughs> and so what he did is he turned and went up the brook, went up the brook, and then he got up a little above and looked down to see what was going on. Okay. And then he went. Then he returned back to the valley gate. So he's he didn't go very far that that first night. He's only only passed to, you know two gates. I think he intended to probably go back in on the fountain gate and and return in. He saw how bad the damage was and probably said, okay, I've got a choice to go back to the valley or find an open gate. And then he just decided to go back to the valley gate uh, because he couldn't get in. And uh, so in verse 16, we're going to continue here. The rulers knew not where I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told the Jews, or, nor the priest, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. So, you know, this is kind of interesting when you look at this. You know, it says, you know, I didn't tell anybody. I haven't told anybody. And then he goes down this long list. He didn't tell the Jews, you know, the ones that had been sent back to Jerusalem. He didn't tell the priests. He didn't tell the nobles, their, their leaders, nor the rulers. And then it says, nor the rest that did the work. It seems like they're going to try to get other people to be doing the work when you look at that one statement. So he's going, he still hasn't told. It's been three days. He hasn't told them why he's there. Now, can you imagine you're in that city. All of a sudden, you see this guy riding in from the, from the king. He's got the small army. He's got some letters he's you know, sending out to the governors. And he's not telling you what he's there for. <laughs> okay? You know, it's like, what, what's the big secret? Why are you here? What are you, what are you wanting to accomplish? I, there's got to be curiosity mounting 
over this three days? You know, who is he? Who who is he? Why is he here? What is he? What is he wanting? You know, we've had all this trouble back with Ezra. You know, we've had all this trouble in the past with Ezra. Is he here just to see if what the what was reported is true? Is he here to check out the progress of the temple? You know, you can you can picture what's going on here. That, you know, if you were if you were living in Jerusalem, it's like, wow, what, what's this guy here for? And in three days, the word is going to be getting out. Hey, there's a visitor. There's a visitor from the king. We don't know what he's here for, but he's he's here. And I think he's doing this on purpose. He wants this curiosity building up, because what happens when curiosity? What happens when the curiosity builds up? Gossip goes around. Well, not just the gossip, but people start showing up. Okay, if you see on the, on TV when when there's an accident, you know, traffic slows down on the other side of the road so that everybody can kind of see what's going on on the other other side. If there's a big fire or or disaster, people don't stay away like they should. They all come running in there because of the curiosity of what's going on. Nehemiah is building on that. Three days, like why is he here? The a crowd is going to gather. A crowd of curious, curiosity seekers are going to be around looking, why is he here? Do you know anything about it? Have you heard anything? There'd be some gossip going on. He's not so much worried about the gossip. He's worried. He wants to get the crowd and the, and, the, and the desire coming in and saying, I want to know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Do you do? Yeah. You know, uh, okay, well, let's be around. Let's, when, when we find out we want to be around, then we can be the first one to ride back to our our little pockets of the country and tell them what's going on. So we're getting this curiosity built up. And we're seeing that as he's going, going through. So in verse 17, he starts to speak to him. Then said I unto them, all these people that he listed in verse 16, the Jews, the nobles, the priests, the, the, the rulers, and all the rest of the people. He says, you see the distress or the misery that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste or desolate, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no more be a reproach. Okay? Now notice here, he has not told them that God, the king has sent them. Okay? He's not saying the king is, is doing this. He's working on them. You know, look around you, see how bad things are. It's time for us to get busy. Okay? He's, he's trying to get them to get a desire to do the work. And, you know, he says, you know, hey, we don't want to be a scorn. We don't want to be a reproach or a taunt. You know, people are making fun of us, basically, is what he's saying. They're making fun of us. we got this big city with no walls, and they're making fun of us. Let's, let's get busy. So... And then he says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. He gets them excited first. Then he tells them about what the king has said. And I love how they, you know, so they strengthened their hands. They got ready to work. They put their, they put their, their mind together for a work. And it was going to be a good work. It was going to be something that put, made Jerusalem the beautiful city that it, that it was supposed to be, the protected city that it was supposed to be. Also to protect the temple. And remember when we were talking about Ezra, they've built this temple, they filled it with gold and silver and precious stuff, and there's no gate to keep the people from just walking right into the temple. Now, there's, of course, there's going to be some kind of guard around the temple a little bit, but... There's only so much the guard can do without a gate to keep them out in the first place. Didn't you talk about that in church? What they called? I do. All right, let's see here. Verse 19. But when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Amorite and Gershom the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you should do that you, will you rebel against the king? Okay, remember we talked about the, the idea when you start building the wall, there's going to be this idea that you're trying to rebel. And so here are these people, they gave them, they're, they're worried about a leader being there that cared for the people. And all of a sudden they're trying to cause problems. And, you know, the first thing was that they laughed at them. Now later on we're going to tell they're going to say things like 
you know, oh, those walls you built, even a fox can knock down those walls, you know, so they're <laughs> going to be making fun. They're making, we're going to see them making fun of them for a long time, and here they are, they're taunting them. You know, who, who do you guys think you are? You know, how many masons do you have there to, stone masons do you have there to build these, yeah, build these walls, you know? Who's going who's gonna to build these walls that are going to stand up? Okay, they're making fun of them. They're taunting them like, you know, there's only, there's only a couple thousand of you. How are you, you going to build these walls? Where are you going to get the stone? Where are you going to get the, the lumber? They're, they're, they're making fun of them. They're trying to, okay, because it said they strengthened their hands. They're trying to discourage the people. And we're going to see them dis trying to discourage the people all through this book. Because if you can discourage the workers, you can slow down the work. You can, you can maybe get them to stop working. Okay, and they're very worried because they they know this Nehemiah fellow has come in and he's got instructions to build, to build, and it doesn't tell us that they showed him Asaph's instructions to give him lumber, but they know he's there. He's there because he's going to care for cares for the people and and wants to keep them moving forward. And so we're seeing that happen. So they've been trying to destroy what's been going on, and then they go, and then they get the real accusation. Okay, They're, they've been making fun of them. Then they get to the real accusation. You know, why are you being rebellious? You know, why are you revolting against the king? And that's that's the serious one. You know, to make fun of them is one thing, but you know, they could they they're going to try to go in and make make life difficult for them with that you know that correction. You know, you're revolting against the king. That's why you're trying to build this strong city so that you can you can be rebellious and rebel and the answer that he gives them is is really wonderful then answered i them and said to them the god of heaven he will prosper us therefore we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion nor right nor memorial in jerusalem okay so basically he's going in you know and with Sambalat and, and Tobiah and uh, Geshem, he's, he's not saying the king gave us permission to do this. You look at his answer, and he's kind of, he's kind of playing into their, rebel, you know, their, their statement of rebellion. Okay? He's actually challenging them, basically, to go ahead and talk to the king and be embarrassed. Okay, because that's what he wants. He wants them, he's, I really, truly believe at this point, he wants them to think that they're being rebellious, and send notes to the king and be and, and have them really be embarrassed in, in this process. Because he says, he doesn't say, shut up, the king told us, gave us permission to build the wall and the gates. He says, the God of heaven, okay, our God is going to make this prosperous or more specifically will will accomplish it. Okay? And that's what he's saying, you know, it's going to be accomplished, it's going to be finished. And he says, he will prosper us thereof. We, his servants, will arise and build. And you can, you just, you can almost hear the, the, the challenge here. Well, you think we're being rebellious? Yeah, we're just, we're just obeying our God. Okay? They're not even getting into the king side of this thing. We're, we're, obeying, we're, obeying, we're obeying our God. And then he gets really kind of snotty with them because he basically goes on, and, and we'll read this. He says it in a very fancy way, and he goes, and by the way, it's none of your business what we're doing. Okay, and that's, you know, that's broken down what it is. He goes, but you have no portion. You have no share. You, you know, this is Jerusalem and this is our land. You don't even, you have no say here, you know. And he goes, and you have no right, which means that you have no, you have no case. You have no, you know, you have no position here. If you ever follow any of the Supreme Court cases, one of the things you have to do is prove that the, Whoever you're bringing the charges for has a, you know, a stand in the stand in the case. You know, they, they have a cause that they're being hurt by whatever you've done. You can't just bring any anybody and just say, well, this is a bad law. You have to have somebody who's been hurt by it. And he's basically saying, hey, you don't even have a cause. Get out of here. <laughs> and he goes, and for that matter, you don't even have a memorial. You don't even have a remembrance. You don't have. You, this isn't your. This isn't your city. Okay, he's being very bold, you know, saying, you know, and he's basically, he's putting himself in, in a place where he's challenging them to go <laughs> talk to the king. You know, and basically, mind your own business, this isn't your, your city, and none of your business, and by the way, our God is who we're working for. And he could have just said, here's the letters from the king and been done with it. 
but I think he's playing a game with them. This is my opinion. He's a, he's playing a kind of a game with them. You know, you think you're smart. You think you you've got something to say about this. You know. And he says, our God's told us to do it, and we're going to go ahead and do it. And by the way, it's none of your business. Get away from us. <laughs> and you know, basically he's challenging them. You know, these are the governors of the, that whole region over the river. It's called the Transjordan area. And he's say, basically saying, you know, just get away. <laughs> go away. <laughs> yeah. It's none of your business. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, Nehemiah, you know, he, he is uh, Quite a character as we read about him. He, he is a very strong, strong-willed character. He's a good leader, and he doesn't always just jump right into, well, this is why we're doing it. He lets them, lets them play into some really bad decisions that they're going to play into, and and he, he's a very smart leader. Very diplomatic. Yeah, I don't know. If that was diplomatic. That was, <laughs> you know, you don't poke him. If he really wanted to be diplomatic, he would have just showed the king's letter. We're doing the king's business. If he really wanted to be diplomatic. This is he's, he's sticking his finger, you know, you know, he's sticking his fingers into the hornet's nest and trying to stir it up, you know, to try to try to make them, you know, do things they shouldn't be not doing. Being very and, and diplomatic. Huh? Not being no, he's not being diplomatic in that answer. Because if he was being diplomatic, he'd have just said, "Here's the letter from the king that I have permission to build the walls and the gate go away." Okay. Now here he is trying to stir them up. I really think that he's trying to get them to write a letter to the king and then be embarrassed with the answer coming back because he knows the king. The king is kind of, you know, he's, he and the king are on friendly terms. And if, you know, like I say, if he was trying to be diplomatic and just stop everything, he'd have just said, here's the letter from the king, read it and weep. Well, he's being yeah. diplomatic to embarrass them. Yeah, well, he's being diplomatically embarrassing. Yeah, that's, that's what I uh, but, you know, he is looking at this and, and this is that whole idea when God gives us a picture of what to do and gives us a calling of what to do, we need to go out and do it. And don't let adversaries stop us. You know, and this, yes, he's got the king, but it started with his whole desire before God to see the city being, being rebuilt. And, and God has given him gracious blessing all the way through. And it is amazing how many times when you're doing what God has called you to do, you'll see just crazy things happen. You know, there's no reason the king should have said, yes, go. You know, it, it could have very easily have been off with your head, you know, you're trying to kill me. Uh, but he's had a, a courteous answer from the king. Great blessing from the king as the king gives him all the letters that he needs to be able to do this, gives him an army to guard him while he's on his way. Uh, then he comes to the people and they respond positively very quickly. So everything is going fairly well for him at this point. I don't know about this last part. That's probably not a very godly way of answering the people. But you know, uh, that's the, one thing about the people in the Bible, none of them are perfect in how they do things. And there's usually, God shows the weaknesses of them as well. And I think that's more of a weakness than it is a godly. This is the one place where I've seen him that he's not being godly so far in the book. Because you know, I see this very much, poke him in the eye and, and, and try, to, try to cause problems with them. Because uh, the easy answer would have just been to show the letter and say, hey, <laughs> we're doing what the king, quit, quit telling us we're being rebellious. We're doing, the king has authorized this and here's the, here's the paperwork. Now, that would have been the godly answer, the... You know, the, the righteous answer. He's basically saying, you know, hey, God told us to do us, butt out, you, you know, get, get away from here, it's none of your business. Uh, so, and, I, and he's definitely playing them. <laughs> he's definitely playing them. He's trying to get them to go to the king and, and be embarrassed. You know, he's, he's wanting them to be embarrassed. He's trying to belittle them. Uh, he's wanting to strengthen the, Israel, is the Jewish presence there and, and getting them more embarrassed. And we see, saw that in Ezra with the back and forth letters, uh, you know, check the records, and then, oh, by the way, go, go double check them because you didn't check deep enough, King. You know, we've been blessed and you guys sent us, and then they got the reward. So uh, there's been a lot of that going on through these periods of time, and here's somebody who's playing them very skillfully. You know, he is used to the court intrigue. He's been around the court intrigue in, in Susan. He knows he's watched very skillful people play, you know, play and, and position themselves and he's playing, he's playing that kind of ruler. You know, he's playing that kind of ruler here. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to play you guys. You, want, you, think, you think you're smart. Go ahead, go, go to the king and find out that you're going to look like a fool. So, 
not a godly position, but it is what it is. This is the kind of guy that he is. He's a leader that's going to take every advantage that he can get. And he's going to be playing a very dangerous game with them because he and it first started here with them playing with them. And he antagonized the situation that's going to come back and bite him later on. If he had done it righteously and correctly, he, he would not have had all the trouble oh, that he's going to get. Laughing at him, so he played back. Yeah, he they laughed at they were laughing at him, so he played them, and they're they're going to come back at him later on. Oh. Okay, this did not come good. His his answer would have been to stay if he had stayed righteous and godly with his answer and saying this is what the king has told us to do. You know, they probably still would not have been happy, but a lot of stuff that went on probably would not have happened if he hadn't kind of stuck the stick in it and said let's let's get you guys really riled up. And unfortunately, that riling up is going to be the rest of this book as they keep attacking and, and trying to stop them. And they start playing the political games with him uh, without bringing the king involved. So, I mean, this is going to be some, some this is all politics. This book is all about politics and, and stuff. And politics have never been good. Believe me, we, we, we gripe about the politicians in our day. Politics have never been good. There's always been politics. If you remember when in, in the book of Daniel when he's cast into the lion's den, it was because the other leaders didn't like Daniel and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And Daniel is one of two people in the Bible that nothing negative is, is said about, the other one being Joseph. Okay? Uh, but they, you know, and you think about this, it says they searched out a reason that they could make accusation against Daniel. This is a, he was a righteous man. Okay, and they couldn't find anything, and, and they said, we, we're not going to be able to get to him unless it's because of his God. And then if you recall, their, their, their little political play was to go to the king and say, king, we have a great idea, and everybody agrees that it's a good idea. You know, make, a, make a rule for 30 days, nobody can pray to, another, to, anybody, to anybody but you. And the king was all flattered, you know, if everybody's agreeing about that, it sounds really good to me, signs the law, and they immediately run to catch Daniel in prayer. And then go run to the king and say, hey, you know, by the way, uh, Daniel was just praying to his, you know, didn't you, didn't you write this law? Didn't you sign it? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, Daniel's been praying. <laughs> and all of a sudden the king realizes how he'd been played by these, by these guys. <coughs> and he had to throw Daniel in the lion's den as, as the law required. But, you know, politics have always been out there. They've been, been in play for as far back as we can track track through history and very rarely are they good <laughs> so we want to just be able to look at that you know this is this is the battle being set up and we're going to see this battle playing out the whole book between Nehemiah and Sambalad and to Tobiah and Gershom is uh, Gershom is usually involved as well but Tobiah and Sambalad are always the two listed there's going to be a long running battle between them <laughs> through the whole book. And let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we ask that you help us to, to learn how to answer people in a godly way that, that is strong for you without being purposefully aggressive and, and stirring up trouble, that, but that we can stand for you nonetheless. And we just ask that you give us wisdom and guidance in your son's name. Amen.